0: Our Bible readings this morning are Psalm 20, Psalm 21 and then part of 1 Peter 2. We start with Psalm 20 for the director of music, a Psalm of David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the King, answer us when we call. Psalm 21 Again, for the director of music, a psalm of David. O Lord, the King rejoices in your strength. How great is his joy in the victories you give. You have granted him the desire of his heart and have not withheld the request of his lips. You welcomed him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life and you gave it to him. Length of days for ever and ever. Through the victories you gave, his glory is great. You have bestowed on him splendour and majesty. Surely you have granted him eternal blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. Through the unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken Your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. At the time of your appearing you will make them like a fiery furnace. In his wrath the Lord will swallow them up and his fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed for you will make them turn their backs when you aim at them with drawn bow be exalted O Lord in your strength we will sing and praise your might and now to the New Testament 1 Peter 2 verses 4 to 12 now speaking of the Lord of the previous verse As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us.
1: Good morning. morning. Many of you will know that some considerable time ago I resolved to preach through the Psalms, uh, and in this congregation, I started at one, and I've got to chapter twenty, uh, Psalm twenty. Craig Wannan said to me about an hour ago, "Chris, there are hundred and forty-seven Psalms. I don't think you'll make it." <coughs> and I said, "I think you're right, Craig." <laughs> When I looked at Psalm 20, I thought to myself, how am I going to find something to preach to this congregation in Psalm 20? So in desperation, I had a look at Psalm 21. And I thought, God has placed those two psalms together. And so that's why we're looking at the two together. Next time, it'll just be Psalm 23. Whenever, whenever next time is. <clears throat> do you know how many kings ruling over kingdoms there are left in the world in 2023? Now, if you want to know the answer to that question, where do you look? Google Now, Google may be right or wrong in its number, but it's a reasonable guess, I think. Google tells me there are 44 monarchies today. Most are parliamentary or constitutional, as is Australia. A very few, like Saudi Arabia, Swaziland, Vatican City and Oman are absolute monarchies where what the king says happens and no correspondence will be entered into. Three thousand years ago, Israel had an absolute monarch. One of his principal roles was to lead his people into battle. I doubt very much whether today's kings of Saudi Arabia, Swaziland, Vatican City and Oman would do that in a time of war. There's another very significant difference. None of those kings, with the possible exception of the Pope and the king of Oman, would claim to lead God's people Psalms 20 and 21 feature God's king leading God's people. You and I are not in that situation, are we? In fact, there's no nation on earth like that, nor has there been one for 2,000 years. Uh, Sometimes we hear people from the United States of America suggesting that the United States might be one. But uh, I don't think so. So, what's the parallel for us? We Christians are God's people, are we not? We read a few moments ago from Peter's first letter, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Remember, this is written to Christians. It's not written to Jews. It's written to Christians. So, sorry, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you have bowed the knee to King Jesus, if you have asked him to forgive your sins, excuse me, I just had a horrible feeling that I didn't switch my phone onto silent. I was right. Uh, Praise the Lord, nobody rang me. If you have bowed the knee to King Jesus, if you have asked him to forgive your sins and save you, then you are a part of God's people today. Jesus Christ is our King. Let's look together at Psalms 20 and 21 and it would help if you opened that section of in, in your Bible so that you've got the psalms spread out in front of you. Let's see there, see what we can find there concerning God's king and God's people. These psalms relate to a time of warfare. God's congregation is led by God's anointed king. God's congregation is led by God's anointed king. The future of one is tied to the future of the other. So much so that deliverance for the king means deliverance for God's congregation. Hence the prayers for the king are also prayers for the congregation. Psalm 20 verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. So first point, God's congregation is led by God's anointed king. Secondly, God's anointed king and through him God's people, trust in him. Psalm 21 Verse 7, for the king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love of the Most High he shall not be moved. Now I've quoted that from the ESV because it translates a critical Greek word there as steadfast love and not just love which is how the NIV translates it. It means steadfast love. It refers to God's covenant commitment to his people. Well, there are the first two things. Third thing, God saves his anointed king and through him, God's people. God saves his anointed king and through him, God's people. Psalm 20 Verse 6. Now this I know the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. How does all this work out? Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We, in verse 7, is God's congregation, God's people. God's congregation today, God's people today, the Church of Jesus Christ, must echo Psalm 20, verse 7. Not only in our congregational prayers, the hymns we sing together when we meet, but in our life together. God has greatly blessed us in this congregation with our ministers, our elders, musicians, tech people, ESL leaders, youth and kids church leaders, those who serve us unseen by cleaning and repairing the building, working in the kitchen, so I could go on. And I've been hanging around churches for many years, as you might have guessed. And this, in my experience, this building is the best church building I have ever been in. It is so good. Because of all our blessings, the people, the buildings, the building... We in this congregation must make a special effort not to trust in the chariots that I've just mentioned. If this building were up near Wall's End somewhere, it might collapse into a mining sinkhole. Praise the Lord, there are none under here to my knowledge. So I think the building's going to stand, but we need to be careful not to trust in chariots or in horses. If we don't trust in chariots, if we don't trust in horses, who or what should we be trusting in? The name, that is the power of the Lord God, of course, Our Psalm tells us. This is just ordinary wisdom, when you think about it, Psalm 20 verse 8 refers to chariots and horsemen. Sorry, and horses. They collapse and fall. But we rise and stand upright. Why? Why? Why were God's people able to rise and stand upright? Because They were united under God's anointed King. Psalm 21 verse 7. For the King trusts in the Lord, Yahweh, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Is Gosford Presbyterian Church able to rise and stand, stand upright? Regardless of any future shock like the one caused by COVID-19. Of course. How? By being united under God's anointed king. Now comes the question. Who is the anointed king of Gosford Presbyterian Church? King Jesus, of course. Good answer. The anointed descendant of King David. Why do I say that Jesus is the anointed one? Because that's what the Hebrew and the Greek words used in the Bible mean. That's what the words Messiah or Christ mean. Same thing. Kings were appointed to office by a religious authority pouring oil over their heads. That's what anointing is. Jesus of Nazareth has been appointed to office by the highest authority of all, Yahweh, the only God who exists. Now, A parallel to that anointing of the king in in that Old Testament culture, in our church there's a similar, there's a parallel to when the presbytery ordains someone for the office of minister, pastor, teacher. What happens, if you've never been to an ordination, is that the members of the presbytery who are the ones who have the authority to appoint ministers in Presbyterian churches. The members of the presbytery gather round and place their hands on the head of the ordinand. That's a parallel modern practice to anointing where the body that has the authority, the religious body that has the authority, appoints someone to an office, to a position in the church. So we're going back to kings now. Kings rule, don't they? King, King Charles III doesn't much because where a constitutional monarchy. But historically kings ruled. If Jesus Christ is our king, then a very important question is how is Jesus Christ actually able to rule his kingdom here at Gospel? How can he do it? How does he do it? Please allow me to remind you, to remind us all, that we are a Presbyterian congregation. There are other varieties of Christian congregations about, of course, and I'd be happy to discuss with any of you, if you wish, later, how I think they rule themselves. But we are a Presbyterian congregation. The very word Presbyterian defines how we are expected to govern ourselves. We claim to be governed by presbyters, elders. We claim to be governed not by the congregation, not by a bishop, but by ruling elders meeting and deciding in committee. We call that corporate decision making. And I've been a Presbyterian minister since 1975 and let me tell you, I love corporate decision making. It works very well, usually. Uh, Decision making by one person sometimes works well, sometimes it doesn't. Um, But corporate decision making is the best method, I think, and it's God's method. I'm suggesting to you. Now the trouble with all forms of church government is that decisions are made by human beings. And all of us are children of Adam. Not perfect. Sinful in fact. Congregations make mistakes. Bishops make mistakes. Presbyters make mistakes. Praise God that behind all earthly church rulers lies our all-powerful God. It has never been thus. Just think of our Bible passage for today, Psalms 20 and 21. Was King David perfect? Certainly not. We all remember the incidents to do with David and Bathsheba and with Bathsheba's husband Uriah. Yet overall, he was a good and godly king. How was that all worked out in practice? The all-powerful covenant God, Yahweh, guided King David in many ways. He helped him in his thinking, reasoning and decision-making. He also guided him by his word, his written word, and also through prophets like Nathan. Now you're immediately going to ask me, "Are prophets available and functioning in God's Presbyter- in Gosford Presbyterian Church today?" And my answer is, I have not seen any any evidence of that. Is God's Word accessible to the session here? The session, I remind us all, is the presbyters, the elders, making decisions together as a group. And Bob Oliver was here at the last service and he was sitting there where Megan is now. And I said, I sometimes go to Bob and I say, Bob, has session passed a resolution on this or that? And Bob then sometimes scratches his head and says, I'll check the minutes Um, that's, that's the way Presbyterian government is supposed to work corporate decision making is God's word accessible to the Presbytery of the Central Coast the body with oversight of the functioning of this congregation and by the way in case you didn't know the presbytery is made up of elders, ruling elders, and teacher pastors. Pastor teachers are also elders. So at that level, it's Presbyterian government. And then the New South Wales General Assembly is also made up of elders. So we try hard to govern by presbyters. Um, is God's Word accessible? to the Presbytery of the Central Coast? For example, did God's Word guide our Presbytery when it sustained the call that this congregation extended to the Reverend Matt Ham? It seems so to me. Was God's Word the only influence our, presbyters, our Presbytery had as it made its decision? I pray not. I pray that God sovereignly guided the presbytery in its decision-making. I pray the same for our session as it makes decisions affecting the life and work of this congregation. And so should you all. Please pray for your session, for our session, I should have said, as it governs us. It makes mistakes, of course. But so do congregations, so do bishops, so did King David. Did the all-powerful covenant God, Yahweh, guide the earthly ruler of God's people, King David? Certainly. Can we and should we expect that same God to guide our church rulers? Yes, indeed. So please pray for them. One of the attractions for me about Presbyterian governance is our oft-repeated claim that the only head of the church is Jesus Christ. Now some years ago, I happened to be for a year the moderator of the Presbyterian Church in New South Wales. And during that year, I was invited to a meeting in Sydney called the heads of churches meeting and I took great joy in when I arrived there to tell people that I was not the head of the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales, that Jesus Christ is the head. I mean they got a bit anxious about that but that's their problem. Um, Sad to say, during that year, I also had to remind aggrieved a Presbyterian church members from across the state who wrote to me with complaints. See, they thought I was the head of the church, and the head of the church will fix it. I courteously told each of them to write to the appropriate presbytery and gave them the name of the, and address of the clerk of that presbytery, whichever one it was. They are the rulers. And it's their job to sort out the mess. And hopefully they did. But how should this work out in practice? Again, our tradition is quite clear. Firstly, we rely on Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists the pastor teaches to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now what that's saying is that God gives office bearers to a church. And one of the apostles given by Christ to his church, a man called Peter, sorry, Paul, had this to say to his representative Titus. Titus chapter 1 verse 5 The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every church. Sorry, in every town. And what's the primary function of the elders? If we go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 we see it there. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour. Now, I sometimes frivolously remind people that the Greek word translated there, double honour, could also be translated double stipend. But I've never suggested that at our annual congregational meeting, I think. We'd go broke. But you get the idea. So God has given to congregations the gift of elders which includes pastor-teachers. And this same God has delegated his ruling function in the congregation to the elders. A very serious and daunting task. Occasionally when I've been moderator of a session I said to them, all right, now you've had all the good stuff, now you're going to have to take a decision, a, a, a very difficult decision. It's not easy, but that's your job. And with varying degrees of pleasure, they <laughs> They did. We Presbyterians historically have expressed this fact in this way. Now this is 17th century English, so just bear with me, it's a little bit stilted, but it's good. Christ, who has instituted government and governors ecclesiastical in the church, has furnished some in his church, besides ministers of the word, with gifts of government, and with commission to execute the same when called thereunto, who are to join with the minister in the government of the church, which officers reformed churches commonly call elders. So, is this part of the Old Testament, Psalms 20 and 21, Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, as 2 Timothy 3.16 insists that all scripture is, is? Yes, indeed. God's congregation is led by God's anointed king. God's anointed king and through him God's people trust in him. God saves his anointed king and through him, God's people. We are God's people and Jesus Christ is our king. Amen.